Welcome to In Orbit, the podcast exploring how technology from space is empowering a better world, brought to you by the Satellite Applications Catapult. I'm your host, Lucy Edge, Chief Operating Officer at the Catapult. And in this series, we'll be in conversation with some of the most inspiring minds in the country, exploring the ways that the UK is using space to make huge differences to our everyday lives, as well as gaining a better understanding of its role in shaping and also sustaining our planet for the future. Across the next three weeks, we'll be sharing live panel sessions from our Westcott Space Cluster Expo. The Westcott Space Cluster is a growing nucleus of space-related companies developing new technologies in rocket propulsion, 5G communications, and in-orbit manufacturing, to name a few. The site offers unique testing facilities in a secure and controlled environment where sector experts can help businesses to identify and benefit from the opportunities in these emerging fields. Our entrepreneurial and innovative culture makes Westcott one of the most exciting commercial space clusters in the world. The expo, hosted in July of this year, was a celebration and showcase of the organisations developing these next generation technologies and building new opportunities for the UK space industry. In this first episode, we'll be sharing the commercial space panel, where our guests explore the challenges and opportunities within the evolution of a new in-space economy and discuss how we can improve our access to space whilst ensuring our activities bring value back down to earth. Good morning, folks. Um, as Martin says, I'm Mike Kesterhouse, I'm Head of Access to Space, um, and I hope this will be a fun panel. Um, microphone's working, I'm figuring that most of you can hear me. Can anyone not hear me? Okay, great. I've got a fabulous panel this morning, um, a whole bunch of um, really exciting speakers to my right. Um, in the corner, we've got Chris Brunskill from um, Deorbit, who's the Advanced Services Oh, wow, it's a new one, Chris. Advanced Services Senior Program Manager. That is a mouthful. I preferred your previous one, but um, all things in space, including uh, data centers, handling, and a whole bunch of other stuff. We'll come to you with some interesting questions there. Next to Chris, uh, we've got um, Alberto from AVS, who is the CEO. Uh, He's a passionate engineer, passionate technologist, sits on a whole bunch of committees. I'm not going to go through all of them, but he knows his stuff about propulsion, and he knows his stuff about space. In the middle, you've already met Matt Escott. I don't need to reintroduce him other than to say Matt and ProtoLaunch are one of our protégés coming out of Westcott, um, the new generation of new space companies. I mean, Alberto probably would say the same for some of the activities he's doing, but some fantastic stuff there. Then we've got Tallini from SpaceForge. I think right now probably the only space factory which is probably going to do something super exciting inside the next 12 months to, to two years. So that should be fun. We've got uh, Jeff Fage, um, who used to run a spacesuit company. Uh, he's also um, involved in the Space um, Frontier Foundation. But now, uh, excitingly, he's the Chief Revenue Officer for Radiant Aerospace, which is probably right now the only, in my view, and probably a few other people's views, viable space plane which is evolving. So great to have Jeff um, over from the States participating in this panel. And do I have somewhere um, nano avionics? Amazingly behind me, um, Armando. Uh, who is a senior business development lead for NanoAvionics, small satellite company doing some really exciting stuff. But before I start grilling my panel, because that's clearly why you're here, I'm going to grill the audience. Last year, or maybe the year before, when was the Space Expo? Martin, when did we do the last Space Expo? Was it last year or the year before? I think it was last year, mate. Wow, it feels like time has flown so fast I simply can't remember. But time travel doesn't exist at Westcott yet, though we do get some interesting submissions. Those of you, who was here last year? Show of hands, please. 
Wow, that's tiny. Well, fabulous. We've got a whole bunch of new folks here this year. Of the audience here, who here believes they will genuinely go into space in their lifetime? And I mean alive, not dead. Some people do that. Um, show of hands. Panel, please, as well. Who's going into, who reckons they're going to be going to space? Panel's not very enthusiastic. Come on, guys. Let's... Um, Armando, hand in the air, wave, maybe. Mm, no. Oh, yes. OK, good. OK, most of my panel and disturbingly not many of you. Who in their lifetime thinks that humanity will get to Mars successfully? So interestingly, we'll get to Mars, but most of you don't want to go into space. I think some of you might need to question your career choices. However, um, let's talk about opportunities. Commercial space, it's a big opportunity. Jeff, I'm going to turn to you first of all. I know. Commercial space, what's the opportunity for radiant aerospace? Sure. So it's actually such a large opportunity that we have trouble capturing it. Um, almost all of the other systems that are sort of uh, being developed today are, you know, rockets that throw satellites into space. A handful of them are things that throw people into space. Radian that we can do both has just a wide range of potential applications. So. Every single partner on the panel that I, I look at today, I, I look at all these other companies, I say, yep, we could work with you, we could work with you, we could work with you, and we could work with you. I've got to talk to all these people. Uh, what a sort of space plane allows and why, why Radian is interested in talking to the UK and everything else, yeah, we can launch satellites, but we can also take things down. We can operate as a platform. We can carry people to and from. We can service space stations. So there's this huge range of opportunity when I think about space manufacturing, when I think about on-orbit servicing, when I think about uh, just the development of the space ecosystem. All of those things are things that Radian's going to be touching. So everything going on at Westcut, everything going on, uh, like I say, with all the uh, partner companies companies, potential partner companies that I'm meeting here. Those are things that Radian can touch. So I, I'd like to meet all of you. That's great. And everyone would like to meet Jeff. So um, everyone meet Jeff. Jeff, meet the audience. This is going to be a good session. Um, Chris, Dealbit have been doing things for a while. Ion's a fantastic platform, good for moving things around uh, certainly um, the Earth and maybe further. What's the opportunity for commercial space for Dealbit? So Dealbit is um, set up as a space uh, logistics and infrastructure company. We don't consider ourselves a satellite manufacturer. We're there to provide the services. So you're a new generation, because not considering yourself a satellite company. This is something else, something evolving. Absolutely. So we're looking at the, the long-term need for infrastructure in space to provide those logistics services. So moving things around in space, providing the platforms to uh, do uh, manufacturing, to do space services, to provide data services, as you alluded to earlier, all of the infrastructure you currently and typically would have on the ground to enable commerce and industry to function, we're looking at how that's deployed in space and how we position ourselves as a key enabler as part of that, that, uh, that infrastructure, that future economy. And there, there are numbers out there, but we see that as a future economy in space. It's probably worth a trillion dollars in some number of years. Um, it's going to be a meaningful uh, environment to have transactional activities completely independent of the terrestrial environment. So that's where we're looking at. That's the opportunity that we're positioning ourselves and chasing. So uh, a new right opportunity now. which didn't in a way exist before, but being enabled and empowered by the very technologies you're going to be using. Um, Armando, um, nanoavionics, you guys built some exciting satellites. You hosted us very kindly on Tuesday, and we were impressed and amazed by the M42 bus, uh, sorry, the MP42 bus. How does some of the activities in terms of what Deorbit are doing, potentially what Radian Aerospace are doing, how, how is that going to impact the commercial space perspective um, from, from your angle? What are the opportunities there? 
Well, the opportunities are larger platforms uh, that are more capable at very similar launch costs to what you see on CubeSats from, from a standpoint of launch and also uh, more and more people requiring the infrastructure to operate in space via satellite platforms. That's where we are. We're an end-to-end service provider. Uh, we help our customers that either they have no knowledge of the sector and want to get in uh, to get all the way to operations and, and orbit or uh, customers that come in with some prior knowledge and need the platform. So we, we're very agnostic in, in what we do. We just enable the access to space by providing pre-configured platforms and uh, services that allow our customers to get there. Thanks. And coming out of that clearly is we're moving things around space. To move things around space, we need the ability to move things around. Uh, ultimately, Westcott's about propulsion more than anything, whether getting into space or doing things in space. Alberto and Matt, both of you, your companies are basically focused on those propulsion systems, basically. Um, Alberto, in the first instance, from an AVS perspective, how big is the opportunity with all these new services coming in? Is it really an opportunity or are we just completely missing the point? No, no, definitely we are not missing the point. Um... I mean, I'm, I represent AVS. Uh, we have a spin-off company, Ura Thrusters, which is going to talk about propulsion, which is actually Emily, the, the COO, uh, will be here in the next panel. So probably I want to talk a bit more about the mechatronics uh, that we build. So I'll, I'll probably pass the, the mic to Matt to talk about propulsion. But uh, the, um, it, it's funny, it's a, it's, a, it's a really important question because we are considered probably an old-school company. We are a humble, multinational small company. but. Uh, uh, we are considered. You always say that. Always a humble small company. We are. We are. <laughs> we are humble. You know, in here, it's, it's only, you know, a bunch of 25 engineers uh, working, just passionate engineers. So the tricky part for the commercial opportunity is to try to 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 to, to change the paradigm, to, to to try to take this passion. All of us are here working in space probably because we saw the Apollo missions and we saw the, the humans landing in, in, in the moon or we've seen um, a different type of uh, exploration uh, opportunities in, in space and uh, try to make a, a profitable business out of it. It's complicated. So what we want to do is we just want to provide engineering and, and mechatronic systems and mechanical systems and thermal systems to all of these applications. And these applications are in orbit servicing, as you were mentioning. It's, it's, it's a very important application. And um, just, just, to, just to finish, but regarding the commercial link, uh, what is really important is that what we, are, what we are seeing, we have been launching missions to the moon for, for many years, but it's, it's only now when we are trying to convert that into a commercial opportunity, just extracting resources from the moon and selling resources, like selling oxygen, selling propellant, selling water. This is going to be a we'll commercial We'll definitely sense. come back to that point. It's an interesting one. And it, you know, as you're alluding to that, and in the same way Chris is talking about it, you're talking about these new services, this new economy emerging. And that's what we're talking about. We're talking a brand new economy emerging around the Earth, between the Earth and the Moon, the cis-lunar economy, and going further. I mean, I'm not a big proponent, we're going to go to Mars, there's a few folks who want to do that, but there's an awful lot of exciting stuff going on on the Moon, potentially, um, in the future, and clearly a lot of stuff going on around Earth. Matt, um, propulsion, this is something that Proto-Launch are, are aiming to specialise in and do more of. Where's the opportunity for Proto-Launch? You're one of the newcomers. Um, Maybe a, a small, humble company is in the same way that AVS are, but slightly smaller and at the start of your journey where AVS are slightly further along their journey. Where's Proto-Launch going? Yeah, I mean, we see so the in-space opportunity. At the moment, the place is it's the Wild West, and there's going to be... Uh, well, you hear horror stories about how companies are interacting at the moment, uh, and propulsion is, is going to be crucial in kind of solving those problems. But it also means that the, the value proposition, the way people are going to be making money, we can't even think of them today in the long term. Um, 
in the short term, what we think is going to emerge and where the fastest value is, is making sure you're bringing that value back to Earth. So it's applications that most keenly present that link of, of value on Earth. Um, as much as I do want the, the ambitions of, of multiplanetary species, I also want to make money now. Um, and that, that's, that, that, that's the, the market we're interested in. And that's what we like, because, I mean, obviously, everyone wants to be a multiplanetary species. Well, actually, you guys don't want to be a multiplanetary species. The panel does, but... Um, most people will talk about multiplanetary species, and we nice big words, future of humanity, civilizations, going to space, a future federation, who knows. But the reality is, is most of us just want to make money and do cool stuff. I mean, and that's certainly what we want to do in the catapult and help industry and, and basically help society at the same time. So money's clearly core to it. But um, Matt, you know, good point there. And I'm pivoting over to um, Spaceforge because you were just touching there basically on products and services. Spaceforger right now, I think, are probably still, you know, along with Varda Industries and OrbitFab to an extent, who are still making nascent baby steps. You guys are basically planning to fly something later this year, put something in orbit, and start that journey to making things. Where's the opportunity, Tilini? Where's Spaceforge going? Yes, so how we see it is the economy is really on Earth at the moment. You know, the established economy is on Earth. In space economy is something that is still in its early stages. So we want to really leverage that to advance the technology, advance the R&D. And how we see it is in space uh, manufacturing is one of the massive growth areas for this because we can actually bring that uh, technologies to Earth for the benefit of Earth. So it's really a space for Earth that we're talking about. Um, and for that, we need infrastructure, and this is where we are going at. And also, one, one key element of this is bringing, back, bringing it back down to Earth. And uh, so this is the technology that we are working towards uh, to establish so that we can uh, reuse uh, the technologies as well as bring the, the in-space manufacture technology back down to Earth. Jeff, that's a good point to pivot back to you. Bringing things back from space is hard. Now, I think Spaceforge is going to start demonstrating this in the next couple of years, but firing things back from space, trying to collect them in a variety of locations around the world is not without its challenges. Um, the world is a complex political environment right now, more so than ever. So collecting things like that probably isn't a long-term solution. Has Radian got a solution to that? No, that's, that's absolutely something that uh, we've really begun to wrap our heads around. Th there are a few things that I wanted to poke on that you said earlier. All the, all the discussion of Mars and science and multiplanetary species, all of that stuff is great, it's important, but it's like if you were going to make a list of all the reasons we should be doing what we're doing, it's like at the bottom of the list. It's not that it's not real and not relevant, but the potential of building an economy in space and what that means from a, you know, uh, economic resources environment, like all of the things that everyone else has already talked on on the earlier panels, those are your drivers. So first, let's not forget our drivers. Now, to come back to your question about uh, returning stuff uh, from space and, and sort of how you support the evolving space economy, uh, Radian very much sees itself as the daily back and forth uh, commuter, if you will. Uh, one of the interesting things that falls out of the capability that we're developing is our down mass is double our up mass. And you can look at this on our website, and I'd encourage anyone to do that. Um, but by having a winged vehicle as opposed to a capsule that's coming back, most capsules, their uh, down mass tends to be 50 to 60% of their up mass, depending on the design. 
we're the reciprocal to that equation. So when we look at the future, some of the companies we're most excited about are in-space manufacturing companies and those that are thinking of developing or building things are saying, you know, I'm going to be doing research, but I want to get the actual physical product of my research. I want to get that back every few days, not back once every six months or not scheduling missions two years apart. So the long-term vision of the capability that we're trying to develop is not to build the biggest thing in human history, but rather to build something that allows access to space on a near daily basis with a, you know, a fleet of vehicles in time. It's a really big challenge, but when we look at, like I say, when I look at every company on this, on this panel and that I've met here so far, every single one of them is a potential partner in one way or another. Let's drill into some of those applications. Chris, you touched on um, very briefly about data centers in space. Can you just really basically, and I mean basically in a few, few words, describe what is a data center in space? What does that mean? What's the opportunity? What does that mean for us in society? So it, it, the sort of purpose of putting data centers in space is to provide access to data closer to the source of its generation, not just in a sort of an edge computing sort of context, but that infrastructure perspective of having the ability to access data that is relevant um, when it's needed to provide the insights and um, uh, intelligence that companies need to make decisions, whether that's in space or on the ground. So at the moment, we're constrained by the uh, ground segment bottleneck. Um, you can scale that to an extent, but still the compute capability needs to be on orbit in order to organize and, and distribute that, that information or, or data in a more raw state um, uh, uh, on a case-by-case -case basis. So we're looking at where those bottlenecks are. We're looking at how we can translate some of that closer to where the uh, information is created and closer to where it will be needed for the end user at the, uh, the ultimate case. So some interesting applications there. Um, Tillini, you probably don't want to go into too much detail about what Space Forge are planning to make in space, but can you just give us some examples of things that you might make in space and how they're going to benefit us? Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of uh, non-space sectors that could be interested in, um, in, in space manufacturing. You've got semiconductor, you've got pharmaceutical, uh, even research area, a composite material. So all of these... Uh, uh, sectors can benefit from the quality of the products that can be manufactured in space. And this is where the value is, the high value industries. Thank you. Um, Armando, nanoavionics, you've built some more satellites, you're, you've got your successful MP42 bus, that's looking like it's going to have a lot of potential. Can you see any new opportunities coming out of some of the areas that Chris has spoken about, data centers, Jeff's talking about basically regular, as he quotes, almost commuter flights up and down basically to Leo. Can you see any opportunities there basically for nanoavionics to, cap uh, to capture and exploit? From a standpoint of data centers, um, there, there's, there's been some talk of that in, in the industry for a bit now. Uh, is it possible? There's a, there's a lot of technical challenges there, uh, but there, there is a possibility of having them up there and it does open up a lot of uh, possibilities for cloud computing up up uh, up in space and and onboard uh, computing. Uh, we are exploring those options, uh, but again, it's through customers. From a standpoint of uh, rides up and down, uh, there is an element there of of uh, maintenance, which does help quite a bit, uh, extending the life of, of multiple platforms uh, for, say, a constellation market is certainly something that we are interested in uh, as, as a service, for example, for our customers. It's, it's something that more, more and more regulation is going to is affect these, these constellations, and we have to be aware of. 
so certainly open to to all of these opportunities. Uh, we are, again, very agnostic with our platforms. And it will be interesting to see longer term in the same way Chris has talked about deorbit not actually being a satellite company, but more being a service-based company, is whether nanoavionics takes a similar journey. I mean, Alberto, you, you're touching on you're a humble company. I'm going to pick up and use that in the future. Uh, but you're a hum- humble company doing a variety of things. But your products and your innovations, they touch not just space, you're involved in nuclear fusion, you're involved in particle accelerators. I have a feeling you're involved in building really big lasers of the, of the safe kind, basically. But AVS does a lot, doesn't it? You're more than just a space company. And is that strength? That's, that's definitely a strength, yes. Uh, we found this uh, common theme, which is the, the skills needed to develop the equipments and, uh, and also the capabilities and the knowledge that you, have to, that you need to have within the company in order to, to, to do that. And uh, space and science are very close together. So uh, we build scientific equipment and we build space equipment. And um, yeah, regarding the space equipment, uh, the, all these developments that we've done for nuclear fusion or, or particle accelerators, we've been a supplier of STFC in Harwell since 2009. We just landed here. You know, it's, it's a bit of bittersweet uh, times for me because I, I've been in, based in Harwell and moving to Westcott now, which is a fantastic place. I couldn't be happier. And uh, we're going to be developing critical equipment thanks to this sort of background. And critical equipment, we just are enablers. We, we will, you know, we've been talking about data centers, we've been talking about in space manufacturing, reusable rockets, reusable planes, uh, bringing resources back to Earth. We are just the enablers that will make these things happen. So we are super focused at the moment in developing the, the hands, the creepers that will bring these this, uh, Mars samples back to Earth. We are involved in these uh, end effectors for in-orbit servicing. You're going to like that, Mike. Uh, you know, very much focused. We're going to be building here in Westcott uh, the, the, the hands that will be the European standard for the European Space Agency for mechanical capturing. Anything that we want to capture in space, which is a European mission from ESA, is going to be, be using our interfaces, which will be built here in Westcott. So, and this is all thanks because we build equipment for STFC in Harvard. So in a way, there's a nice synergy with all of you. You're all space companies, but actually all service companies. You're all developing products and services. And if you're on Earth building those services, Jeff would be running a form of taxi company. Uh, Tallini would be uh, running a factory which makes anything from coffee cups that Chris was holding to the microphones that Alberto's holding. Um, Alberto, um, you and Matt, basically, you make effectively systems which move us around, everything from bikes to cars. Uh, And Chris, you're a company which does just about everything, so maybe you're you're the Amazon of space, maybe not. And nanoavionics, in the same way, Armando, you guys, basically, you're making a whole variety of complex products. Just the difference is, is you're doing it in space. So is there a big difference between the companies which operate on Earth and operate within the sort of the terrestrial environment and the companies which operate in space? Jeff, I'm going to ask you that first one. I'm not saying you're a taxi company yet. I mean, maybe that is success, but maybe you're not space Uber quite yet. Well, not quite yet. I think one of the biggest things that uh, we're really beginning to understand is the, the least uh, relevant way to think about what we're doing is to think of it using the words uh, sort of transportation or to think of it as a uh, the, the, the term in the industry is always like launch vehicle. Because what we always say is that if, a, if all you want to do is throw something into space and that's it, if that's all you want to do, then our way is an overcomplicated way to do that. Once you get away from that thinking and start saying a little more broadly, 
Well, what could you do if you had a vehicle that was capable of staying with a payload for a while once it, once it deployed it? What could you do if you had something that could bring down double what it could bring up? What would you do if you, had, uh, you were able to uh, deploy something, return something, capture something, but you could have a crew that could actually do active things with it? Um, there are some applications where that makes sense and some where it doesn't. Once you start asking that question, and I suspect all of you have had sort of this experience, is that you had a vision for one thing, and then when you start looking at how fast the space environment is changing and how fast the ecosystem is changing, you're realizing that your capability isn't something that fits into one market. It truly is the next generation and can touch all sorts of other markets. So I, I, I suspect that's something all of you would, could tell a story about. Yeah, Matt, um, similar question in a way. Um, you have some nice products you've been evolving around propulsion. You've started in one area, you're moving now to more um, orbital maneuverability. The challenges there and the opportunities there are, quite, are not insignificant. There's a lot of customers out there, et cetera. How are you going to differentiate yourself in a way between the other players in that space? And what is Protolaunch going to bring to that, which you think is basically your USP? Because I'm keen to see where you're going to grow from. And I know that's a tough one, but at the same time, <laughs> you, you're good to talk to it. Yeah, definitely. Um, so. In space mobility is, is going to become, at the moment it's almost an afterthought, and it needs to become an essential part of, of what's happening in space for it to be a successful um, economy. Um, it's, it's a matter of when, not if, there's an accident in space. And you know, it's, it's, don't really want to say that, but it is going to happen. Um, and that will really change, the when that does happen, it's going to really change the dynamics of in space. Um, there's also looking at the choice of propellants that thrusters are using. Um, so at the moment, the, the gold standard is all hydrazine-based, really nasty. And is hydrazine good? <sighs> Does anyone like on the panel like hydrazine particularly? Recognising that not all the audience here understands what hydrazine is, does anyone here particularly want to basically be best friends with hydrazine? I mean, you look at it the wrong way and you catch cancer. It's not that, really... Okay, so that's a fairly good way of well, <laughs> describing But hydrazine is not a green propellant. However, it is very efficient. Uh, it, its specific impulse is very high. But it's nowhere near as high as oxygen and, and hydrogen. Uh, why aren't we using oxygen in space? Uh, it's, it, it's the gold standard. We've done this for a while. Yes, there are handling difficulties. What we want to do is see, can we address this and can we bring hydrogen oxygen systems to space to actually get a higher performance? Um, and also, we're sustainable as well. Um, and it look very long term, you can look towards water in space and the opportunities that presents, and that really changes the dynamic of what your cost equation is for how much my fuel needs to be. Uh, you know, is it the cost of, of launch from Earth? Is it the cost of launch from, from the Moon? Or is it the cost of acquiring your, uh, your propellants in space? Thank you. Coming to the end of our panel, I want to just pose a couple of quick questions and just quick fire answers. Chris, exciting developments in the next year. What are we going to see? Just give me your couple of um, sentences on what, what excites you? What do you think is going to be on the horizon? So for us, it's scale. Um, we've gone from three uh, of our satellite carrier vessels last year to six this year. Uh, we're scaling that up again twice as much for next year. Um, and it's creating that capability in space and looking at what that infrastructure once deployed can enable across a variety of services, as you mentioned, um, once that's in space and once it has that very generic capability to provide services to other, other areas of the space business, but also on the ground as well. Thank you. Um, Armando, nanoavionics, what, what, what's, the ex what's exciting on the horizon? What are you seeing as the opportunity in the next 12 months? What's getting you out of bed in the morning, not just caffeine? <laughs> I'd, I'd say it's uh, it's certainly also scale. Uh, we're going to see, uh, you know, we're going to have 27 satellites in orbit uh, by the end of the year. 
Uh, there's also scale in terms of platform. We're seeing a big, big trend on the on the small sat side of things. And uh, I, I think what's exciting is what we can now do with larger platforms at the very, very low launch prices, which is going to drive the market towards that. We've gone from miniaturization back up, uh, which is very certainly very exciting for our engineers and 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 very exciting for what we can do with those platforms. So that's uh, there's some interesting things coming in the horizon there on the constellation front. Thank you, Jeff. What's exciting? An awful lot of hardware build, a lot of construction, a lot of uh, uh, watching our system come together. Uh, I'm afraid that you guys won't get to see much of it. Uh, Radian tends to be a very quiet company. We spent all up until last year in stealth, and we only tend to announce things when they're actually finished or done. Uh, so we're building, and uh, if you reach out to me personally, maybe you'll hear about it. Thanks, Jeff. We'll watch that space. Talini. Spaceforge, what do you get? What's exciting? What, I mean, we know what you're going to do later this year, but what's exciting in the next 12? Yeah, I mean, it's the the next mission really, because uh, that's where we would be doing technology demonstrations uh, on both our key uh, technologies, which is you know in space manufacturing as well as uh, the return technology. Thank you, um, Alberto. Yeah, so for us, um, I go from from the bottom to the top, so it starts um, five five points only, very quick. So Vilio. We, go in, we, we are interested, in, we are developing Vilio platforms and Vilio engines. Next step is uh, an orbit, on-orbit service, um, super weird satellite to do, you know, with robots and things like that, uh, to do sustainable, sustainability. We like that stuff. Next, half is, next step is this decade is the moon. Uh, we're gonna be uh, extracting oxygen and propellant uh, on the moon. It's gonna be the first European demonstration. Uh, next step is Mars, bringing the, the Mars sample uh, back to Earth. We'll do it somehow. There is ESA NASA conversations. I don't know what's going to happen, but we'll bring the samples, definitely. And finally, uh, deep space. We're going to deep space. So, so small ambitions there. That's good to hear. Matt, finally with you. Yeah, um, so we're, we're three years old, uh, and uh, now is the time for us to redo a step change in the size of our company. We're growing rapidly, uh, and we're racing towards doing our first in-orbit demonstration of, of our tech. So that's really exciting for us, um, you know, getting our hardware on orbit, um, and we see sort of the solutions of in-space manufacturing and in-orbit services really driving uh, our market. Thank you. And I think from my perspective, what's exciting is, is we're building a complex ecosystem at Westcott. Westcott was propulsion. You've heard the history. You've heard what's going on here. There are other sectors coming in here now, agritech, drones, extensive communication going 5, 6G, I don't know, maybe 7G. Um, but it's a whole ecosystem and we're seeing crossovers. And of the audience in here, those of you who are involved in space, can you just give me a show of your hands? Okay, so broadly 50% of the room. Um, the other 50% of the room, you're in a whole bunch of other sectors, um, some, um, unless you got lost and ended up here accidentally. But um, the other 50% of you, I think what's going to be exciting is that pivot as space starts to influence and affect what you do. But likewise, um, space has much to learn from your sectors as well. So for me, the excitement is, is that crossover of the sectors coming together, pulling together effectively a whole new ecosystem, which has societal benefit, which creates skills, which creates jobs, which creates impact and makes a better world for all of us. Um, thank you for listening. Thank you to my panel, Chris Brunskill from Deorbit, Alberto from ABS, Matt Escott from ProtoLaunch, Tolini from Spaceforge, Jeff Fage from Radio Aerospace, and joining us from afar remotely, um, Armando from Nanoavionics. Thank you for listening. Have a great session next time around. To hear future episodes of In Orbit, please do subscribe on your favourite podcast app. 
And to find out more about how space is empowering many different sectors, visit the Catapult website or join us on Twitter, LinkedIn or on Facebook.